Well, we start the new year with a series which is focusing on the idea of renewal, spiritual renewal. We believe as a team, Amy and I have been praying it to this end and pressing into this idea of renewal, that there are new things for God that God has for us in this time and in this season. And that is, after all, our vision as a church. We began, really, five years ago with this anticipation that God wanted to pour his spirit out on a group of people, and then that we would call that the church. Isn't that a great vision? You know, God, pour your spirit out on a group of people, and then we'll call that, we'll call that family a church. And this particular sort of term, the first half of this term, as we come into the weekend away together, we are journeying through what we're, a series we're calling Keys to Renewal. Love that image, and thanks to Martha for that. Keys to Renewal, this is a picture of uh, some keys, we want to give some keys to you that are going to unlock, hopefully, renewal in each of our lives. And last week, we began looking at Matthew 6 together. We're going to spend a few weeks landing here, and what we're asking as we do so is, is for God to uh, give insight on what renewal would look like. And last week I said that one of the keys to renewal, the first thing we're looking at is this idea of having a single or simple, focus, having a single focus, a simple focus. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's the single focus. And if you do so, all of these other things will be added to you as well. And if you missed that, I do encourage you to go back and listen or watch that. You can do that on our YouTube or on Spotify or somewhere like that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And we said last week, and again, this is a recap if you missed it, that the kingdom of God is the place or the space, the environment where God is king. It is descriptive of his rule and his reign. You, may, you might say it's, it's his governed environment, his governed atmosphere, the place where he is Lord and King. His kingdom is his rule and his reign. And many of you know this because you've read scripture. But if you don't, and if you haven't, this may be new to you, but the kingdom of God is actually the central message of Jesus Christ. The sense, if you ask, what did Jesus preach? Jesus preached the kingdom of God. That was his front and center message. He says, repent, you know, behold, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's available. It's here. It's now. And the rest of his life, his activity, his actions, and his death and his resurrection were all, they all fitted within this banner, this framework of the kingdom of God. And this framework of the kingdom of God isn't just something Jesus came up with uh, you know, from a blank slate, if you like. It's the story. It's the story of the whole Bible. You know, it's this beautiful text I've been reading a little bit and sharing with a number of people from Isaiah 43. And it says, you know, uh, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's a prophetic picture of the kingdom. That there was going to come a time, Isaiah says, when God does something decisively new. And it bursts in on the old, like wine-filling wineskins, and it's a new thing. And it, it changes reality. It shifts atmospheres. And that thing arrives with Jesus. And the name for it is the kingdom of God. So this kingdom is Jesus' message. It's prophetically promised. And third of all, and importantly, it is our assignment. We are co-laborers with God as disciples of Jesus, if that's what you are today. And if you're just here listening in, then what you're seeing is, uh, what you're listening in on is what your assignment would be if you choose to follow Jesus. Your assignment, if you choose to follow Jesus, that you are assigned to join with Jesus in establishing his rule and his reign on earth as it is in heaven. So that when we pray every week, that kingdom prayer, we're actually praying our job description. You know that, right? We're saying, God, would you do this? But we actually are supposed to become the answer to that prayer. God, we're saying, God, do it uh, in this piece of earth, in this piece of territory, and as you do it in this piece of territory, would you use this piece of earth to see it happen in those pieces and those places of earth out there? This is our assignment. And this, I think, often is where we get unstuck. We love the sort of, if we read the scriptures, we love the sort of notion of the kingdom. It sounds so, when we understand it, at least it sounds exciting and, and dynamic, and in fact it is, but we get unstuck when we come to the point of what, what should I do? What does this look like? There is a temptation often in the church to spiritualize Jesus' teaching. To spiritualize it, to, to make it abstract, and people like me are terrible for this. You know, we can make it sound sort of so ethereal, numinous. Oh, aren't those lovely words? <laughs> Abstract, non-real, non-material. 
And if we've done that with the kingdom of God, it's impossible to actually live in it. It's supposed to be, ow, tangible, tasteable, experiential. You know your faith is supposed to be experiential. The kingdom is to be here and now, it's to be lived, measurable. And that's why Jesus went about demonstrating it. How did he do it? He healed people, he delivered people. Radical inclusion was another sign of the kingdom. People who were outsiders became insiders. All of this was him demonstrating, practicing what he preached. It isn't enough. I know, Lord, you've told me this before. It isn't enough just to preach a good game. As disciples of Jesus, we have to learn what it means to practice it. And I think we can get unstuck because we have to see it in order to share it. And we have to taste it in order to transmit it. (laughs) Bill Johnson says this. I love this. He says, most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Like, Ouch! We repent enough to be forgiven. You know, we get to that point of understanding that we have to confess our sins and God will forgive us. That is true. But when Jesus says repent and believe, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news, he isn't talking, I don't think, fundamentally about confessing your sin. He's talking about changing the entire way you view reality and live your life so that it comes under his lordship. And when you do that, you will experience the kingdom. It is a complete shift of life and paradigm. And it's supposed to involve every part, every single cell in your body. We need, in order to experience the kingdom, one of the things we need, one of the keys to renewal, is that we need a new mind. We need a renewed mind. And Bill Johnson again says, that, I love this, I love this. Oh, considering a, a tattoo on my face of this, the target of the Lord for every one of us is a renewed mind. That is so powerful. You know what God wants, what that means, I believe that is true, what God wants for every single person here, for every single person he has ever made, past, present, future, is to renew their mind. The kingdom is a renewed mind. That's what it looks like in a human life. It looks like a renewed mind. That is Bill Johnson's assertion. It is my assertion, but I believe we're in good company. Listen to this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food or the body, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and so on. How many of you know, to live like this, to think like this, is to have a new mind? Because I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like my old mind. Right? This is fresh. To live in this reality is to be living in the kingdom. You can't live like this with the mind you inherit, the mind of the flesh, the mind that we're born with. Doesn't, isn't capable of this. But Jesus' intention, in a measurable way, a real way, not spiritualize it, not pushing it out into the uh, eternal future, here and now, I believe, because it's in here, Jesus' intention is to equip and enable disciples of his to step into this new reality of the kingdom of God, including in the area of a renewed mind. The target of the Lord for every one of us is a renewed mind. How, this is a renewed mind. Imagine waking up in the morning and not having the burden of the daily worries. Imagine walking about your day in a, an atmosphere, a pervasive atmosphere of peace, not one of lingering self-doubt and insecurity. How many, how many of you know what that feels like? The self-doubt and the insecurity. That you know you try and patch on achievement, pleasing others to just cover it, but it just it's never enough. It's like a, a garment that's a little bit short and a little bit a little, and you just can never quite cover everything. How many of you know what that's like? Imagine living in that environment of peace more and more and more and more. That's the renewed mind. Jesus seems to agree that the target of the Lord is the renewed mind. And in fact, the Apostle Paul agrees too. That's what we read in Romans 8. Here's what he says. The mind set on the flesh 
is death. So death, file, file under death, worry. File under death, anxiety. File under death, the fear of man, the fear of other people's opinion of us, and all manner of other things besides. But the mind set on, oh, I love this word, governed. Governed, isn't that a great word? <laughs> try, and, try and sort of forget any associations you may currently have with government. <laughs> Just do that for a minute. I'm not thinking of parties in number 10. I'm thinking of proper government, all right? Just for a minute. Repent. The mind governed by the spirit. In other words, the mind that comes under the government, under the rulership, under the lordship of the spirit. The spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus, is life and peace. Just say that with me. Life and peace. Life and peace. See, the apostle Paul is agreeing with Jesus here. Interestingly, he says that the mindset on the flesh is death, but it's actually, he says, hostile to God. In other words... It's an environment, the, the, just the, the, the mind that we receive, the mind that we're sort of born with, if you like, it is an environment in which the presence of God cannot dwell. In order to experience and practice the presence of God in every moment, which, by the way, is what Jesus wills for us. And once a week, for a couple of hours, every moment of every day, to practice and experience the manifest presence of God in your life, I believe that's the will of God. That can only happen with a renewed mind. And the good news is that God has a renewed mind for you, and he has a renewed mind for me. I don't know how this hits you. As you consider the last couple of years, as you think about, gosh, what state, even right now, what state is my mind in? Am I experiencing death in my mind or am I experiencing life and peace in my mind? Am I ruled by anxiety and fear? Am I ruled by the Lordship of Christ? You know, we all as human beings, we're frail. We are so frail. And we are all, every one of us, given to difficulty and temptation in this area. It is why it's so important. Brené Brown says that anxiety is the most contagious emotion. Isn't that true? If you're in a, a system that's anxious, you, you can walk into that system feeling at peace. But you walk into that system, it can be a family system. Many of you have grown up in family systems that are anxious. You're anxious simply because it's what you grew up in. It's, it's become habitual for you, habituated. Or you can be perfectly at peace and you walk into the staff room at work. Right? How many of you, I'm getting some chuckles here. How many of you have done this and you walk into the staff room and you feel it? And because it's such a strong, it's like any culture, it's like a whirlpool. You need real strength to walk against the culture. It's why you need to be very, very serious about the culture you allow yourself to be part of. By the way, this is especially true in terms of friendship. If you allow yourself to become part of a friendship circle where the culture is negative and anxious, do not be surprised if in uh, days, weeks, months, or years, you have become what you surround yourself with. And so we come into these cultures, and the thing that we had, which was peace, we give it away. And we exchange it for this lesser thing that was in that environment. How many of us have been tempted to do that in the last couple of years? We've been bombarded with messages which are the opposite of peace-filled, hope-filled, faith-filled messages. And we've had them and been forced to watch them every single afternoon or evening on the TV. And we're surprised that that's had a deleterious and negative impact on the way that we perceive the world. Your Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart but from it. It's the wellspring of life. We need to guard our minds as well. The foundation of the renewed mind is faith. The foundation of the renewed mind is faith. The engine of the renewed mind runs on the fuel of faith. So Jesus says, verse 30, in case you thought I was making this up, verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, as I even say that, I can feel the level of anxiety rising in the room. Yeah, he's saying, have more faith. You know, stir it up, full measure of faith. 
And many of you have grown up under a teaching which basically says that you need more faith, your fault, you haven't got enough faith, so if you don't have enough faith, basically, clench your buttocks. <laughs> have a bit more, squeeze harder. But you know, faith doesn't come from striving. Faith comes from surrender. Faith never comes from striving. It comes from surrender. But Jesus has to address in his disciples again and again the absence of faith. It's amazing, isn't it? Mark 4, he's on the boat and a storm arises. And Jesus is asleep. He's just kicking back, chilling out. And the disciples come and say, I love this phrase. I think it's in Peter's mouth. can't quite remember. Master, do you not care that we're perishing? We're just doing a little bit of dying over here and you're asleep. What's the haps? What's going down? You know, could you not rouse yourself just on this one occasion? How many of you prayed that prayer in the pandemic? Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus says, you know, you have little faith. It's a repeated refrain because Jesus is familiar, as Amy said, Psalm 139. He's familiar with all our ways, right? The good ones and the bad ones. Before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. He hems us in behind him before. He lays his hand upon us. He knows us intimately and he knows our frail condition. And he, he, he describes that as having little faith, little trust, little confidence. In Mark 4, he says, look, have faith. You have little faith. What is faith? Well, it is trust. It is confidence for sure. It comes through surrender. But faith is simply this. It's remembering who is with you. That's what it was for them on the boat. He's like, look, you've got so little faith. You've forgotten. You've forgotten who I am. You've been looking. I know this is so, we've heard this so many times. If you've heard a sermon ever preached, you've probably heard this. We've been so focused on the storm that we've forgotten Jesus. We've forgotten his identity. We've become intoxicated with the atmosphere around us, the atmosphere of fear. We've forgotten that he is the Lord. He's with us. And we cannot have a renewed mind without a surrendered heart. We cannot have a renewed mind. A mind that experiences, experiences the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which is another way of saying it transcends human logic. It transcends uh, cultural projections. It transcends, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this one, government updates and mandates. Transcends them. Proverbs, is it 30, 31? He laughs. She laughs at the days to come. The woman of wisdom, Right? She laughs at the days to come. New variant? <laughs>, laughs at the days to come. Not because there's not seriousness in it. But imagine having a mind which is so renewed. It's like, Lord, if I'm to remain, amazing, there's work to do. But if you're going to take me, well, it's better to be with you. That's what Paul says. You can only say that if you have a renewed mind. You can only laugh in the face of death with a renewed mind. Don't mishear me. I am not here to criticize or burden anyone. I am here to hold out hope for the weary. I am saying, Hosea 2, that the valley of, of Achor, which means trouble, listen, will become the doorway of hope. And I don't think I've ever really taken this seriously before. I don't think it's ever really occurred to me that it might actually be possible to live in this kind of a way now. And I think it is. I think it is. The fruit of the Spirit is a renewed mind. Not the fruit of striving, but the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 8. Paul goes on to say, a little bit later in the chapter, for those who are led by the Spirit, in other words, those whose minds are governed by the Spirit, I think we could just interpose both of those phrases there. They're the children of God. The spirit you receive as children doesn't make you slaves to the old way, to the old mind, so that you live in fear again, so that you're governed by death. Right, I'm, this, I'm paraphrasing. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. 
And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Right? So the Spirit of God, the renewed Spirit, leads us into the presence of our Father. And that's why Jesus says, and he repeats this on three occasions, twice explicitly, and implies it a number of occasions in Matthew 6. He says, your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father. The fruit of faith and the Holy Spirit is an appreciation and an understanding of God as our heavenly Father. Look at this, verse 26. He, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. In other words, they're not defined by their frantic activity. Right? I like that. That just came to me in the moment. I like that. Do that tonight. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Yet your heavenly Father feeds. That's the first activity, the heavenly Father. He feeds. Secondly, verse 30, it says, Will he not much more clothe you? So he feeds and he clothes. And then verse 32, it says, What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows. So he feeds, he clothes, and he knows. He's heavenly. He is omnipotent, transcendent. He's bigger than it all, greater than it all. We've been singing that this morning. This is a keystone, a foundation. This is a key to the renewed mind, that he's heavenly. He is able. Not as in Cain and Abel. A-B-E-L. No, he's A-B-L-E. A-B-L-E. He's able. He's able. I can't prove this to you. It is, as the mathematicians say, an axiom. It is something which can't be proved on which all of life rests. You know, you cannot prove that one out one is two. But if you start to accept it, then everything else, everything else in maths makes sense. It works, but it only works if you assume that to be true. The Christian faith is the same. The thing is, the evidence of it is the beauty. The evidence of living with this is an axiom in your life. And one of which I'm about to share, speaking a bit earlier. The, the evidence is peace, life and peace. We really live as if he's able. Well, then actually the, the fruit of that is peace. But it's not just his ability we're to accept and live in and trust. He's also heavenly, but he's also father. How much more? This speaks to the fatherhood of God. The goodness, the fundamental goodness. He is able and he is good. Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed, are set, are steadfast upon you. So we keep our job through the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing thing. Our job through the Holy Spirit in faith is to keep our minds set on him. On him, on who? On the heavenly father. And as we do that, he keeps us in perfect peace. That's the renewed mind. That's the truth which sets us free. This is a, part, this is a two-parter. Next week, Amy's going to speak into what this is going to look like in practice. Because I have to be honest with you, it takes serious dedication and training. This is not a one-stop shop. It's not a little shabba on a Sunday morning and whoo, we're there. A shabba on a Sunday morning is necessary, but not sufficient. The Christian life is event and process. Or if you like, crisis and process. There's moments of break-in, and then we have to work out. Breakthrough, work out. Breakthrough, work out. That is how all freedom in the Christian life comes. Breakthrough, God does it. Work out. But, uh, Philippians 2, isn't it? Uh, for it is God. Um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. It is his good pleasure, as Jesus says. It's his good pleasure. Don't you know it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom? The renewed mind is his pleasure. It's his gift. His renewed Christmas. 2022 gift. We play our part. As we work out our salvation. So we're going to talk about that in uh, next week. This is God's will for us. It takes partnership with him. What, how does it begin? That's how I'm going to land now. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. It takes repentance. And some of you think, oh, oh first faith and now repentance. So what I've got to go do is go and you know, take a ruthless inventory of my sins and flagellate myself, ideally publicly, for as long as possible. No, that's not repentance. I don't know what that is. It's very Protestant though. Repentance, metanoia, change of mind. Here's my definition for today. Here's how we step into the renewed mind. You have to be willing to unlearn everything you think you know. I'm serious. 
a beginner's mind. Be willing to unlearn everything you think you know. That's repentance. Everything. You start again with him. Every morning you wake up, you feel the cloud. We all do from time to time. Some of us more often than not. You feel the cloud of burden. And you just say, Lord, today I surrender. I am willing today to unlearn all of the learned behavior, all of the habits, everything I think about my identity, everything others have said about me, everything uh, my parents have said about me, everything the world is currently saying. I'm actually going to say, I'm going to live separate from that, set apart from that. I'm going to step into this morning, sonship, daughtership, and I'm going to take as my foundational principle that you are able and you are good. And I'm I'm still in my bed at this point, folks. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, as I do that, renew my mind. Renew my mind. How many of us have heard the phrase, Follow the science. How many of us have been dutifully following the science? By the way, not saying that's a bad thing. Mr. Djokovic perhaps wishes at this point (laughs) he'd have done that. But it strikes me as strange that in the church, when we read a text like Matthew 6, we don't seriously consider following the king. You know, if the scientists said there was a way to a peace-filled life, we'd be on it like a car bonnet. That's what Jesus is saying. That's a good offer, folks really is. I end with this. One of the things I feel God is saying for us at the moment is that we're seeing the first fruits, the first signs of the harvest. And I was taken to this image of blossom. Now, I know there's some proper gardeners in the room, and I feel a little intimidated because I don't know the first thing about the natural world. (laughs) But my understanding of blossom is that it comes before fruit, and it's a sure sign of the fruit to come. It is the thing that I think the pollinators can pollinate to enable the fruit to happen. Can I get a nod, please, in this area? Thank you. Because the whole sermon fell apart at that point if you didn't put your hands up, Emily. (laughs) It's needed for the fruit to come, but it's also a sign. It's almost like a foretaste, if you like. I believe that the renewed mind is the blossom that God has for us before the outpouring. And I believe it's key for us to receive the outpouring that God has for us. So why don't we stand and ask him to to fill us and to renew us. Again, worship band, if you'd come up. I remind you of what I've said. Event and process. For some of us, that process looks like, well, it looks like many things. Amy will speak into that next week. What I want to do today is to hold out hope before you, to give you a vision for this. Nobody's ever told me this is possible. (laughs) I probably just wasn't listening, but I'm listening now. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? I know that there are things that you have for us which are so good. They are so good. Too good for us even to have come up with them on on our own. And I believe this is one of them.